for a moment, allow your mind to wander. Imagine living abroad, thousands of miles from home. Different people, different sites, different culture. Yet in spite of that culture and the acceptance of those people and all its attractions, the sights and the sounds and the smells of home still linger. The hum of a tractor, the crow of a rooster, the bark of a dog, the ring of a hammer, the smell of fresh homemade bread, the conversation of a dinner table. No matter where your feet tread, it just, it just isn't home. Yet in some ways, all of us are that traveler. This world is not our home. In spite of its attractions and its allurements, Peter says, I beseech ye as pilgrims and strangers. There ought to be in all of us a yearning to be at home with God. We catch a glimpse of this in Matthew 26 in the words of Jesus himself. It says, as they were eating... Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it for this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. And then notice what Jesus adds. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. For a brief moment, Jesus allowed himself the luxury of thinking of the time when he and the disciples would be home. How little we seem to know about home and what lies beyond, what's ahead of us. This morning, as we remember what Jesus did for us personally, how that shed blood, I want you to see how that shed blood affects not only today, but it affects our future. And that Jesus really is our future. Well, good morning and welcome to our communion service. What a blessed privilege we have uh, to commune uh, together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you have your Bibles, or you're welcome to follow on the PowerPoint as well, to Revelations chapter 19. Chapter 19 is a chapter of contrasts. We're going to see what happens to those who serve God, and we're going to see what happens to those who reject God. It's a really, it's a vast contrast in this chapter. But a lot is happening, and I'm going to explain a few things along the way as, as we go. And uh, Verses 1, 2, and 3, it's, it says, 
And after these things, I heard a great voice of many people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornications and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke arose forever and ever. He's speaking of Babylon, the apostate church whom God judged in chapter 18. Now this is the apostle John who is seeing this and he's the one who wrote it. And notice his praise. It says in verses 4, it says, And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of the mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage supper of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. There's a number of reasons why God is worthy to be praised. First of all, our God is just. Though the wheels of God grind slow, they grind fine. God misses nothing. Our God is a just God. There's a second reason why God is worthy to praise, and that is our God reigns. You know, one of the favorite indoor sports of the church is worrying. We worry about everything. And when we don't have anything to worry about, we worry about that too. <laughs> Think of all the time and energy that is wasted worrying. Those of you that struggle with worrying, I want you to hear five words. God is on the throne. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. There is nothing beyond his control. There's a third reason God is worthy to be praised. Our God keeps his promises. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb is come. This past Thursday evening, we were invited to a marriage supper uh, at our neighbor's. The neighbor's daughter had married. It was an Amish wedding supper. And uh, the food was fantastic. The bride was beautiful. And the groom, well, he was okay. But at this marriage supper, it's going to be different, very different. I'm sure the food will be heavenly, the groom will be awesome, and the bride will be okay. You see, at most weddings, the bride is lavished with all the attention. But it's not going to be like that at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The groom will be front and center. He will get the attention. He will have the affection. 
Jesus will garner the worship. Jesus will be the object of our affection. You know what else is going to be different about this marriage supper? This marriage supper is going to take blood. It's going to require a Roman cross. It's requiring, it requires a substitute dying for you to be there. P.T. Forsyth says our churches are filled with the nicest and kindest people who have never known the despair of guilt or the breathless wonder of forgiveness. We've become accustomed to sin. Our culture now not only embraces the sin, it openly promotes it. They've been given over to reprobate minds. They now promote the things which are even unnatural. They call things that are unnatural normal now. Sin seeps out of the pores of our society. And it's all around us. But those who sit at this table are going to know the deep despair of guilt, the breathless wonder of forgiveness. They're going to know the amazing freedom that the blood of Jesus brings. As I studied and took in this scene of this marriage supper, I tried to imagine what it would be like. And I imagined it somewhat being like these Friday evenings that we take a meal in at Faith Mission. A little bit like what those residents must feel as we serve a meal multiplied by a million. Unworthy, undeserving, undone, wretched, forgiven, accepted, loved, overflowing with praise. indescribable. Have a hard time imagining that there'll be any dry eyes at this wedding supper. And yes, there will be tears in heaven. Jesus says he will dry our eyes. He'll wipe away the tears. There'll be tears in heaven. But notice what verse 7 says. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb is come and his, his wife has made herself ready. Verse 8, And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they who are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he's, and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. What does it mean his wife has made herself ready? 
Well, Jesus says something in Luke chapter 12 that helps us understand what this means. Luke chapter 12 is a chapter where Jesus cautions us not to lay up our treasures on this earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. The reason being is, is verse 34 is, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. That's why he was cautioning it. Then notice what Jesus says. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. In other words, always be ready. And here's why. And ye yourselves like unto men who, that wait for their Lord, and he will return from the wedding when he cometh and knocketh, that they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. And I love this part. Verily I say unto you, he shall gird himself and make them to sit down at meat and will come forth and serve them. The wife that has made herself ready by continually watching, staying alert, walking close and walking in obedience, she makes Jesus her treasure. And when that, the one who has, has stays alert, walks in holiness, will sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb and experience Jesus coming forth and serving them. So why is it important to always be ready? Notice what Jesus tells us. If he come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them, find them, so blessed are those servants. And here's why. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. And would not have suffered his house to have been broken, broken through. Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour, an hour when ye think not. Jesus is going to return at a time that will catch all of us by surprise. And then Peter asks a question. Peter asks a question. He says, speakest thou this parable unto us or even unto all? In other words, he asks the question, does this apply just to us disciples or does it apply to everyone? And Jesus replies, who then is the wise steward whom the Lord shall make him ruler over his household to give them a portion of meat in due season? Blessed is the servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find doing so. In other words, blessed will be the servant who is found faithful when the master returns. But notice what happens. He says, of truth, I say unto you, he will make him ruler over all that he had. But notice what happens to the one who is unfaithful when the master returns. But and if that servant say in his heart, 
My Lord delayeth his coming, and he shall begin to beat the manservants and the maidens, to eat and to drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour when he is not aware of, and will cut him asunder and appoint to him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant whom knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. His portion will be with the unbelievers. He is not only going to hell, he's going to be severely punished. It says he shall be beaten with many stripes. And the, the next verse talks about the one who was ignorant and didn't do the master's will. He shall be beaten with lesser stripes. This portion of scripture is, was, is used often to what is thought there will be varying degrees of punishment in hell. Back to Revelations 19. By this point, John was overwhelmed, and he prostrates himself in worship before this angel. Look at verse 10. It says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And when we're talking about worship, he's not just going to his knees. He falls on his face, and his hands are outstretched. He's completely prostrate. And the angel responds, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, this angel is saying, don't worship me. Worship God, I'm just a servant like you. Before I continue, I want to make a few observations. And the first scene was, heaven was opened to allow John in. In the second scene, heaven gets opened to allow Jesus out. Notice also with me that the marriage supper of the Lamb precedes the second coming of Christ, which immediately raises the question, how is it possible for any of us to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Many Christians are ignorant that there are two visitations to this earth by Jesus. Two very distinctly different times Jesus will come to this earth. And I can show you by scripture and I don't have to twist it to do it. One will deal with believers, the other will deal with unbelievers. One will be discreet and like a thief in the night. The other will be openly and all will see him. One, he will be in the sky and he will be met in the clouds. The other, he will come down and his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. One will be to save and the other will be to judge in the severest manner. There will be two very distinctly different comings. Let's deal with the one that deals with the believers found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
Notice what it says, but I would not have you to be ignorant. And there's an amen from the pastors. Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. The body sleeps, but the saints are alive. The soul spirit is with Jesus. The saints are alive with Jesus. The body is asleep. If you notice in the scriptures of the saints, it always talks about the saints sleeping. The unbeliever perishes, but the saints, they sleep. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we which remain in our which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we shall meet him which are alive, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we will meet Christ in the clouds, in the air. This is commonly what is known as the rapture. And a rapture is not a biblical term. It comes from the Latin word raptero, which does mean caught up. We will be caught up to meet Jesus. Now let me show you the other visitation. Zechariah chapter 14. Notice this visitation. This is the same visitation as we're looking at in Revelation chapter 19. And it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravaged, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of the battle. Notice this. And his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem of the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half the mountain shall be moved to the north, and half of it towards the south. It's not very difficult to see that this coming of Christ, the second coming or the advent, is going to be very different from that of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is about the believer. In this judgment, he, in this coming, there is going to be judgment. He was going to judge the nations. Also, in the second coming of Christ, there is going to be what is called the battle of Armageddon. The nations are going to fight against Israel, and ultimately they will fight against God. Um, let's go back to Revelations 19 and watch this unfold. Verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. 
And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. Now before I get into more of the details to all you animal lovers, there will be animals in heaven. I don't know about cats and dogs, but there surely will be some horses, as you can see. Now Jesus gives us the mission objective right up front, and he says it is to judge and make war. The object of the second coming of Christ will be to judge the nations, and he is going to make war. And then we're given an anatomical survey of Jesus himself. Now note the first time when Jesus came to this earth, he came as lowly. He came with humility. He came with compassion. He came with, with mercy. He came with grace. He came with truth. But the second visit is going to be very, very, very different. There is going to be only judgment. There will be no grace and there will be no mercy. His eyes were a flame of fire and on his, head, on his head were many crowns. Diademia. This is what Edward Perronet had in mind when he wrote, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. John continues, and he had a name written that no, no man knew but himself, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14. And the armies that were with him in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Notice this. This is after the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will follow Jesus into battle. Remember what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 said, So shall we ever be with the Lord. We will be on white horses, and we will be outfitted for battle. But we won't fight. I'm sure this comes as a great relief to those of you who take your Anabaptist heritage seriously. Yes, even in eternity, we will be Anabaptists because Jesus is going to do the fighting. Look at verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. Basilege, Basileon. Kurios, Kurion, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess him as Lord. Before us is the battle of Armageddon. There have been a lot of brutal battles 
battles, bloody battles upon this earth. But there has never been a battle that will be the size and the scope of this battle. And it will never happen after this. The nations will be fighting against Israel and against each other. And as Jesus appears, they will fight against him. Notice what it says. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses and of them that sat on, on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet. By the way, those are the, archi the architects of the deception. The mark of the beast. These are the ones that are the architects of it. That wrought Miracles before him and which deceived them which had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. They both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Here's where the wide road ends. Here's where disobedience ends lake of fire burning with brimstone this is where compromise ends this is where all the world's religions will end this is where humanism ends I know it sounds crude, but this is the alternative to Christ. That's why we have no other message than Jesus and him crucified. Let me give you four reasons why Jesus will physically come to this earth. Jesus must come to fulfill scripture. There are so many scriptures which speak of Jesus' coming to this earth. Old Testament and New Testament, if you recall, even in 1 Corinthians 6, the believers were fighting in the church and they were getting secular judges to settle the disputes. And the Apostle Paul says, Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? Know ye not ye shall judge the earth? Church fights are little league stuff compared to the things that the saints will be doing in the future. We're going to be involved reigning with Jesus. 
That's why those things, we should be able to settle our differences among each other. That's why it's sad when churches divide and fight. It's a sad thing. That's small-time things. It's nothing compared to what we're going to do in the future. There's a second reason Jesus will come to the earth. Jesus must come to judge the nations. Don't think that in this era of grace that God is going to let sin slide. Sin is going to be judged. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of man is fully set in them to do evil. People think just because God doesn't hit them with lightning, that he doesn't care. I remember the story of a farmer who purposely would plow and work the field beside a church. And uh, had a great harvest. He wrote in, the, uh, wrote in the opinion of the newspaper and told it, made sure that all the Christians knew he had a wonderful harvest. I love the response of the pastor. It was very simple. God doesn't settle his accounts in October. There's a third reason why Jesus is going to be coming to this earth. That he must come to bind Satan. Satan will be bound. You'll see it in chapter 20 if you read on. He will be bound for a thousand years. He's going to be cast in the bottomless pit. For a thousand years. There's a fourth reason Jesus will physically come to this earth. Jesus must come to establish an earthly kingdom. Habakkuk writes, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Isaiah writes of it as well. Notice this. Notice what happens. This is during the thousand-year earthly reign of Jesus. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together. And notice this, a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and their young ones shall lie together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. There's going to be a physical changes in animals in this regeneration. And the suckling child shall play in the, of, in the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put her hand on, on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all the holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah writes of it, uh, Isaiah 2 says, and he shall judge among the nations and he shall rebuke many people and he shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nations shall not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore 
The United Nations has this as their charter. But the United Nations will never, ever accomplish this in this era. This will only happen when Jesus physically comes to this earth. You know, this morning, allow me to take what you've heard and apply it with three simple words. Jesus is everything. He encompasses all of time. He eclipses your life. He is your future. He is above and beyond all your problems, your troubles. He is there at your victories. He was there at your beginning. He'll be there at your ending. He is your future. He is your eternity. And he is your life. A scene like that makes me want to bow, to prostrate myself, and to give Jesus the glory that he deserves. And yet there's another part of me that, where I deeply sense my own unworthiness, my own undoneness. part of me where I recognize so much selfishness. So many areas that I still stamp with the label mine. But he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. Just for a few moments I would like to ask you to just to bow your head. I want you to consider just for a moment, bow before him and consider Jesus. And allow Jesus to, to consider you. If there's still some unfinished business that you need to take care of, this is your moment. Maybe it's some unconfessed sin. Maybe it's just lukewarmness. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's time for a deeper, deeper level of commitment. A closer walk. Won't you tell him? Maybe it's just an expression of love. Maybe it's gratitude. Adoniram Gordon wrote, Help me to be holy, O Father of light. Guilt burdened and lowly, I, I bow in thy sight.
How shall a stained conscience dare gaze at thy face? Even though in thy presence thou grant me a place. Help me to be holy, O, o Spirit divine. Why conquers so slowly this nature of mine? Stamp deeply thy likeness where, where Satan hath been. Expel with thy brightness my darkness, my sin. Help me to be holy, O Spirit divine. Come sanctify, holy, this temple of thine. Now cast out each idol, set up thy throne, reign, reign without rival, supreme and alone. Father, it is with, with gratefulness that we, we bow before you. We prostrate ourselves before you. Jesus, you alone, you, you are worthy. Lord, this morning in a small way, we've watched your fingerprints. In your list of days, and yet we see your fingerprints. And to the end of our days and beyond. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy to be praised. Well, as we come to the Lord's Supper, it's, it's, it's all about...